Good day everyone, you're listening to Time for Your Hobby, and this is episode 108. My gamer mode is activated. I'm your host Alex, and today I have the honor to have Simon as my guest on the show. How are you doing today? Doing great. Thank you for having me on the show. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, well, I'm glad to have you here. You know, I, I, I would say I love playing some video games as well, a lot. So uh, this is, this is going to be <laughs> a great conversation, but I'm sure you have more skills and more insight wisdom you're going to be able to share with me and the listeners. So I'm super pumped for that. Me as well. You know, I'm just here to I've been playing video games for a long time, so hopefully I have some, just a little bit to share, a little <laughs> extra knowledge. <laughs> if you have a lot to share, then it's, your time is yours. You could do as much as you want. You could talk as much as you want in the show. It's all yours. But before we jump into the topic of today, mind giving a little like background of who is Simon? Sure. So I'm an 18-year-old um, from Brooklyn, New York. I've been playing video games since I want to say around the age of nine so I'd give it around nine years because that was when I've been playing video games casually for nine years. I've been playing video games competitively for around six or seven years. Um, competitive gaming always just, it, it became so enticing to me because I'm a very naturally competitive person. You know, I never like losing. I never like coming in second. I am a sore loser. Uh, I'll admit it very, very openly. If I lose... You just don't want to talk to me. I'm just not, uh, if I lose, I lose. And I like to keep to myself for a little bit. So combining the two, two of my favorite, uh, something that came naturally to me, which is co uh, competition and something that I love doing, you know, taking the time and just playing, you know, video games, specifically Call of Duty. It was like a match made in heaven for me. So I jumped on that pretty quick and ran with that for hopefully as long as I can. And since 2011, there have been quite a few Call of Duty games. So I'm sure <laughs> there's a lot to talk about, right? Of course. I mean, there's, <laughs> there's the good and the bad. <laughs> exactly. We're definitely going to touch everything, the good and the bad and in the in-between. But before we do that, do you have any social media links or websites or I don't know, maybe a podcast you'd love to share as well so people can come find you and so show some support? So my Twitter is at always accepted underscore. Always accepted is my PSN handle. It's uh, pretty much my alias when it comes to video games. My YouTube is the Extra Innings Podcast, where I talk about my second hobby is baseball, born and bred into my into my blood. So I just go on there, speak my opinions about baseball. I keep ver everything, you know, it's very opinionated. You're going to get my take on things. You might not agree with it. Um, but I, I'm always, you know, open to feedback, positive and negative, because I take it as constructive criticism and I move on with it with my day. So that's where you can find me. And hopefully if you do check me out, you enjoy the t your time. What do you mean? Hopefully if they do, they have to. If they're listening to this podcast, they have to. <laughs> I've been saying this on every episode. Everybody who listens to this podcast have to go support every single guest. It's the law, that the Alex law. That's it. <laughs> <appreciate it. laughs> well, that's perfect. I'll put all that in the description below so people can go check it out, show some love, show some support. And now we're just going to jump right into the topic of today, competitive gaming. Now, for people who might not know what it is exactly, what is the difference between competitive gaming and just casual gaming? So to put it in layman's terms, casual gaming is when you just jump on your PS4 or Xbox or even Nintendo Switch, whatever console you have, even a PC. And, you know, you just you go on to, you know, maybe relieve some stress, pass some time, you know, uh, play a couple games with your friends. But, you know, whether you win or you lose, whether how many kills you get or how many deaths you get, it doesn't really affect you and it doesn't affect, you know, your interest in the game. You're just going on to have fun. And competitively, I would like to say we always go on to have fun, but, you know, we have a, 
we have a second agenda when we when we turn on our PS4. You know, we're either playing for money or we're playing to get better so we could join a new team or make our team better. You know, because we're competing against other competitive teams, other competitive players, and everything just gets amplified. We don't go on just we we do care about wins and losses. We do care about our kill to death ratio. We care about teamwork, communication. We care about getting better. So when we go on, we see, we view it more as a job than as a uh, an outlet away from your job at home or job wherever it happens to be. So it's kind of like your side job, side hobby, or it's like your main hobby job. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you still love doing it, thus becoming it is your hobby, right? Yeah, of course. I mean, first, uh, first and foremost, before anything, you know, we none of us really got into video games because we viewed it as a an outlet to make money. It was never, you know, when when you when you start playing video games at nine, ten years old, even earlier for some people, you're doing it because you know you're in school all day and you want to come home and you want to play with your friends online. You want to play a video game that forget about even relieving stress. It's just something fun to do and something to get away. It's like a it's a Video games for me is like a separate universe. You know, you have the, you have your real life world and your and uh, everything happening in the real real world, and then you have, you know, a video game world where, you know, it's kind of like a fantasy. You're you can become a soldier, or you can become, you know, sometimes even like a dragon, or just whatever video game you would like to play. It can take you out of the real world. So I think everybody started as you know just a casual gamer, and then some people you kind of saw what competitive gaming can do for you uh, financially and just as a hobby. And it's great that we live in a time where gaming is becoming more and more acceptable in the mainstream. Back in the days, it was only seen as the geeky people, the nerds playing it. But now it's like, you're not playing a video game? Oh, you you should be playing a video game. <laughs> if you love gaming, and I, and I really, like you said, it really is becoming more acceptable in society. You know, esports as a whole, you know, there's debates now whether esports is an actual sport. And whether esports athletes should be considered professional athletes. And that's something that, you know, five, six years ago, that, that conversation, that discussion would have never even happened, that debate, because it was a consensus that it wasn't a real sport and they're not real athletes. But now, you know, the debate's kind of moving and it's kind of heading towards the direction that maybe they are real athletes and maybe, you know, what they are doing is a real sport. So it's a fun time to be in this world right now. Other than, you know, of course, we have the whole thing going on, the whole pandemic, but the world is evolving and it's a it's a good place to be in right now. And we're connecting with each other like we are doing right now in this podcast. Exactly. And for you, when did you actually get interested in competitive gaming? Like, was it a person said, hey, you should probably do this competi competitively or was it like a, an ad on TV or on the internet or anything like that? You know, I always played sports games growing up and I still do, you know, MLB The Show, Madden, NBA 2K. And then my cousin, who I want to say around four years older than me, you know, I played Call of Duty for the first time at his house. I didn't ne never knew about the game, um, never even heard of it before. I played it and, you know, I really enjoyed it. Like, I loved it. It became really – once I played it, like, you know, when you love at first sight, that's kind of what it was with me and uh, Call of Duty. So – but when I played it, I was – I realized that I'm, I was better than the average casual gamer. So back to my competitive side, if I see that I'm better at something – than the average person, I tend to, you know, stick to it as long as I can and try to become even better than I was. I want to say competitive gaming to me became a real, a real, real interest around 2013, 2014. 
when I was a casual gamer for about two years in that specific field of games, uh, first person shooters. And I decided, you know, maybe I can take it to the next level. And has it always been Call of Duty or have there been other games you're very passionate about and competitive nature? Competitively, it's it's pretty much always been Call of Duty. Casually, it's it's been the sports games. It's been Fortnite. You know, it's been UFC games, all that. Like, But competitively, you know, no matter how many times I try, you know, I tried once to, to play a Counter-Strike Global Offensive instead of Call of Duty because that, that specific year in Call of Duty was just a rough, rough game. It felt like an unfinished product, but at the end of the day, Call of Duty just, it just pulled me back in and I don't think I'm ever going to be able to leave it a hundred percent. So I think Call of Duty will be the game always for me that I'll consider to play competitively year in and year out. And speaking about Call of Duty, now the big crave, well, the, right now, but this episode's coming out in a few months, but right now it's all about Call of Duty Warzone. Are you into that or against that? What's, what's your take? I don't really have a take on it because... Well, I think it's great, and it, it's going to bring in a bunch of a bunch of traffic to the multiplayer scene. I think Warzone and Battle Royale games in general are a good way to take off some steam after a long day of, you know, just competitive matches. It's a way that, you know... But the problem with Warzone for me and competitive players is we're not playing it to just play it. We're playing it to win. Like when we lose in a close situation, like if we're already, if we're the, if we're top five with, um, you know, top five teams left and we lose, like that just gets us, that just adds more stress onto us. And that's just, that might just be because of our competitive nature, but I think a lot of people have competitive natures. So I like Warzone because I know it will bring new Call of Duty fans and new Call of Duty players onto the scene. And that's what we want. We want the game to grow. We don't want it to die out, you know, this past year, Modern Warfare has been, you know, the highest selling Call of Duty game in a while. So while while many of us believe that the game hat is is unfinished and it's it's definitely not up there as one of the best, it did attract a really large amount of new players. So and I think Warzone, you know, them promising that they would bring in a battle royale like Black Ops 4 did, I think that really helped their cause in their case. So I think Warzone on a marketing level and on a game level is super beneficial there you have it simon speaks the truth only the truth <laughs> and uh for you on a personal level what would you say is the best part about being a competitive gamer just the fact that you know you have a whole new group of friends online like you know for me you have your team you have your coaches you have you know the the people that represent you in the organization it's just building those new connections and you know you go from the real life the real world where Everything is so stressful, especially times like now. And then you can block it all out. You put the headphones on and you're running around in a video game with a gun and just and enjoying your time. I think enjoying your time is the big is the best thing, especially being a competitive gamer. You know, you're always going to have a core four or a core five that you're going to run with every single day. You know, you take maybe one day off a week, but those are the guys that, you know, know more about you than probably some people, you know, in the real world. So it's just building those relationships on, on the game, which translate to off the game as well. And speaking about the game itself, Call of Duty can be found on multiple consoles like Xbox, PlayStation, PC. So on that note, what, what's your take on competitive gaming on a console versus a PC and maybe in the future on VR? <laughs> so right now, Call of Duty has a contract with the Sony so that competitive gaming only takes place on a PS4. Right now, I think that is obviously the best route of action because 
console gaming versus PC gaming is two completely different worlds. Mouse and keyboard versus a controller. There is some stuff on mouse and keyboard that someone like me as a, as a uh, console player is just not, it's not physically possible for me to do. I only have so much like radius of movement with a joystick, but a PC player has a lot more you know, movement capabilities when it comes to a mouse because they can move that mouse 360 degrees and in every which way, but with a joystick, I'm much more limited. So I don't knock PC gamers at all. I think you have to, like me personally, I tried being a PC gamer. I couldn't do it. I wasn't skilled enough to be a PC gamer. I think my mind is just so, it, my, I mapped my mind to the buttons of a controller that when I tried the PC, I couldn't get the the uh, AWSD keys to to get stuck in my mind to go forward, back, left, and right. So there's no hate towards PC players, but I don't think that PC and like if a console player is playing a PC player, it's not a fair fight. Let's put it that way. I think the PC player has the advantage 99% of the time. And at the end of the day, it's to each their own, right? Whatever feels more comfortable with you, whatever makes you more happy when it comes to playing video games, whether it's PC, whether it's a console, whether it's VR. It's a funny thing for PC because I play a lot of PC games. And even when I'm not playing PC, like I'm at work, my fingers instantly just go to WASD, just naturally sit there. And I'm like, wait a second, I'm doing a report. This has nothing to do with gaming. What am I doing? And I like shake my hands like, no, Alex, no. But my hands like muscle memory just going there automatically. And uh, so before, when we were talking beforehand, you're saying that you also trained other people. So it's kind of cool that you brought your hobby to other people to make it their hobby as well. So how do you train other people to become competitive gamers? So I became a coach for a competitive Call of Duty team in 2018. I was always a competitive game. I was always the actual player who was getting coached. And for me, my my specific role on any team was the objective player. I was never the guy to get 40 kills in a game, but I was always the guy who understood the map and understood how we have to play a certain map better than almost anyone in the lobby. So I decided that, you know, maybe I'm going to shy away from actually playing the game and put my skills to good use and try to help other players understand the game like I do because my mind works differently when it comes to you know, playing a specific map and mode. So I found an organization that believed in me and, you know, believed in my skills to coach their Call of Duty team. And it's been, it's been a bless, you know, a problem with Call of Duty kids is a lot of us have egos. A lot of us, almost all of us have a very, very strong ego. No one likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be told that, you know, maybe we should do something different. But the, the way that I try to coach is, I'm not telling you that I'm better than you. I'm not telling you that what I'm doing is right and what you're doing is wrong. I'm showing you a different way to look at things. If you still want to do it your way after listening to me, that's totally fine. But the way I like to train and coach players is if I see something that is just totally wrong, I'm going to tell you because if you don't want to hear me out, that's on you. I can only coach as, as much as a player will let me coach them. So I'll tell you everything I know about a certain thing and everything I've seen watching you play because I do believe also that, you know, when you're so invested in a, in a game, in a specific, you know, map or mode, a lot of things will fly over your head that you don't even notice. But when I'm watching it in third person and I'm seeing everybody on the map and not just you, there's stuff that I pick up. It's not even, it's not even negative criticism because these players that I'm coaching are a better player than me. But like, you know, I believe in like in, in MLB – the best coaches are the ones who were probably the worst players on the field. 
I believe that I could be one of the best coaches, but it doesn't have to be that I was one of the best players. So I training and coaching is probably my favorite thing to do as of right now. So that's cool. So you, from your hobby of being a competitive gamer, you became a competitive coach or a competitive, how would you say competitive gamer coach, competitor coach gamer? Gamer coach competitive, yes, <laughs> so, uh, one of those three combinations, but that's pretty cool. Have you, Actually, on that note, have you ever picked up a strategy or a technique from one of the people you coach? Like they have something they do naturally and you're like, oh, cool, I'd like to try that for my own playing style. Oh, of course. Uh, <laughs> the guys I coach, they're, they're, be- they're better than me in every way. You know, their reaction time, their, sometimes their knowledge is better than mine. So I believe that I can learn from them the same way they can learn from me, the same way a teacher can learn from a student. Yeah, there's hundreds, definitely, definitely. Every single time I, I coach my guys, there's always something that I'm going to pick up from one of them. And you, I'm sure you encourage them not to cheat, but cheating does happen. I'm, I hope it's not often, not from your players that you coach, but from just gaming community. Like Everybody's witnessed it at least once online if you play any type of game, auto-aim or anything like that. Have you ever encountered cheaters while in a competitive game? In a competitive setting, I have not. The casual gamers, the casual, the casual scene, you know, definitely, hundred percent. You know, there's times where you just go in, and the second you spawn in, you die because someone's aim botting or someone's wall hacking or spin botting. But a competitive scene, you know, we try to, we try to really keep that practically to zero. You know, we try to minimize the number of cheaters. And the second we do, if we do ever find a cheater, it's not just it, we don't just report him. We tell the, we try to tell the entire community not to play with him, not to. Consider him for for a spot on your team because he's a he's a known cheater. He because competitive integrity is something that's really important to a lot of competitive players. And if you're going to completely violate that by trying to get a slight advantage, we just don't want you in our community. It's just you don't fit in with us. And it's kind of like if you think about it, you know how yeah, let's say on tra- in track and field, you have a team of four doing the four by four one hundred meter race. If one person is caught doping, then the whole team gets penalized so basically if you have one cheater on the team everybody gets uh, the consequence so it's better to have a team with no cheaters and everybody respects each other and it's communications key so but i'm trying to I'm, it looks like it's almost like i'm telling you this but you're the coach you should be telling me this <laughs> if you're playing a tournament if you're at a tournament setting then yeah the whole team would be disqualified but if you're playing a scrim or if you're playing you know just a just a practice match and then you if you find it in the practice match that player will definitely get disqualified, but that team will have the opportunity to, you know, have a substitute fill in for him and play the actual tournament. Okay, so good. It's kind of like an actual it's like sports team where they do have substitutes because it's, exactly. it's not just the five playing. There's always backup in case because somebody could be sick. Somebody can just have a broken PS4 for, uh, I don't know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm creating weird scenarios, but it's cool that you do have other people ready to go if something were to happen. That's, that's I love that team aspect. Especially in the competitive scene, the the top 12 teams in the league at the moment, all of them have at least two substitutes. Some of them have upwards of five substitutes, but I think the minimum per league spot is two substitutes. Just in case, you know, a player has a problem with visa, visa issues, or he can't come in at a certain time because he has a family, you know, family emergency or he happens to be sick. You always have to have those substitutes on hand and ready to go just in case. And speaking about the team itself, I'm sure I could be wrong, but when you're in a competitive match, do you guys have code words to run formations or do plays or signal that something's happening at a certain distance or something's happening? Every spot on the map has a different call out. For example, 
in this game on a certain map there's a section on the map that's called it's called l so there's a top l and a bottom l and if you see someone top l you you the way call of duty players call out it just happens to be that you know it will be like he's top l top l like we'll call it out multiple times that's just because we're just playing so fast and our minds are just trying to understand everything that's happening but also multitask and call out at the same time so we we do actually happen if you ever hear a competitive call of duty team in a live audio you probably won't be able to understand what they're saying it's just it sounds like a lot of gibberish and a lot of just really fast talking but to us every single word that's said means something so the code words yeah we definitely do use code words we call them call outs and in the aspect of running formations, we have, I'd say, around 30 seconds before every map to just discuss what we're about to do. Like our break off. If our break off doesn't work, what are we going to do? How do we counteract their break off? So there's a lot of strategy that goes into, you know, formations and break offs in specific, because if you have a bad break off, you're going to have a very slow start to the map, which will probably turn into a loss. Because once you have a slow start, it's just so hard to pick it back up when another team has all that momentum. But we definitely do use code words and callouts. I could be completely wrong, but I think one of the most famous code words that is pretty much used by everybody for Counter-Strike is Rush B. (laughs) (laughs) And Counter-Strike, yeah, it's definitely Rush B. When I was a Counter-Strike player and I played it for, I want to say around six months, I probably said Rush B about, in six months, probably about a thousand to two thousand times. <laughs> now you're just walking out in real life like, Rush B. No, 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 no. I'm not in Counter-Strike anymore. I'm not rushing any B. Rush the bathroom. Rush the bathroom. <laughs> I'd say the most infamous code word when it comes to Call of Duty is one shot. One shot is probably, you know, you if you're in a game, you hear that. You hear those two words specifically at least a hundred times coming out of all five players, all ten players on the map. If you t- if you shoot him once, automatically you're going to yell one shot. It's just so ingrained into us. One shot is definitely the most infamous call out that is used in Call of Duty. And also, I think Call of Duty was one of those games that actually originated the word camper as well. Yes. <laughs> this Call of Duty is just a pioneer for a lot of terms that people have used and continue to use in other types of gaming. So shout out to Call of Duty. I could be wrong, but this is what my experience when I was growing up playing Call of Duty. So yeah. Just want to point out, we do not, we do not condone campers. <laughs> Definitely do not. <laughs> we, we condone travelers. <laughs> if you want. Exactly. If you, move, if you move your joystick, we are fans of you. If you just sit in a corner crouched, we are, we'd rather you go play something else. <laughs> play the camping simulator. <laughs> For you, what usually goes into your routine to become a better player? Like, how do you train? How often do you train? And what's your techniques? So every single day, we play around, I want to say, four to five hours. Four to five hours per day, times that by seven. It's around 25 to 28 hours a week of strictly being on your PS4 playing the game. Whether it be a scrim versus another team or just playing casually because playing casually can actually make you a better player you can warm up your shot doing that you can experiment new things in a time where in in a setting where it's not competitive so it doesn't really matter if you do well or don't do well so i think playing being a casual gamer is a huge aspect of being a competitive gamer it's it's very crucial but you know so we'll play for around 25 hours a week and then we'll watch you know we'll we'll watch our, our vods which is 
just a replay of our 25 hours. And so if we're playing, if we're scrimming against another team, we're going to record that and save it for, or for one day a week where we just sit down. We all, you know, whether it be like a zoom call or just on the PS4, we watch the VOD and we break down everything that went wrong and went right. Because a lot of times coaches only break down what's wrong, but I like to break down what's right because I want us to know that if that's right, I want us to continue. I want it to ingrain it into our minds that that is the way we have to play if we want to win. So we'll, I'll keep what's right. We'll remove what's wrong and then we'll do it all over again for another week and then implement the new things we learned from the past week into the new week. And that's just the cycle that we kind of go on. But it's a lot of it's a lot of mental hours, you know, a lot of long nights you know, on the PS4, even just, you know, watching other competitive players. You can always learn something from them. If they're at the top of if they're at the top of their field, you know, they did something right. And if you're trying to mimic them in a sense that you want to be where they are, you need to emulate some of their skills and some of some of their play styles. So it's a lot of watching and it's a lot of playing. So all this is just helping you get better at the game. And on that note, what has competitive gaming taught you in life? I think it taught me patience, which is something that, you know, I was never really good at patience. But especially becoming a coach, I had to learn to be patient with my players because every single person is different. No one is going to react to a critique the same way. I have a, a player on my team who I wouldn't say enjoys it, but he takes criticism very well. Like he says, just tell me what I'm doing wrong and I'll fix it. But then I have a player who really believes that everything he does on the map is correct. And he doesn't like to hear critique at all. So I think it helped me, one, with patience, because you have to be patient. You can't explode when, you know, you have to have a civil conversation. You can't explode at the player when he's just not listening to you, even though you want to explode so much. You really do, trust me. But you just have to hold yourself back. You know, I learned composure, patience, and I think just dealing with so many different types of people. And I think that that, is, that has really helped me already in the real world. So that's something I definitely owe to video games. And competitive gaming specifically. And on the topic of like just exploding has, I know I feel like I already know the answer, but there's a twist to the, the, the question, but has competitive gaming ever stressed you out? And if yes, what do you do to relax? Do you just take a five minute break? Do you do something else? Go for a walk, eat something, play a different video game. What's your technique? So competitive call gaming definitely stresses you out because it's very strenuous. So it definitely stresses you out almost every single day. And what I do to relax personally is if it's at the end of the night, I'm just not going to play anymore. I'm going to turn off my I'm going to turn off my console. I'm going to, you know, maybe listen to some music or watch some Netflix or just watch some regular TV just to cool down and just forget about either forget about the night or forget about a certain sequence of events that happened during the night. But if it's in the middle of matches, I think the best thing to do is to take that 5-minute break, you know, step step away from your control your controller you know go get some water go get something to eat just take those five minutes to yourself and sort of reset you know our favorite word in the community is regain composure and reset when you're having a tough time the one thing we always yell out reset just regain regain get back to who you are and we're gonna get there so i think regaining is the most important thing and the way i regain personally is just take those five minute break 
or just step away because there is stuff outside of video games. And sometimes you really just have to take that step back. And, you know, we're human. We're allowed to do multiple things, step away and then come back. And, you know, it's always like uh, going to sleep. You get recharged and then you, tomorrow's another day. Boom. Cheesy, uh, cheesy catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true as ever, though. That's definitely true. And for you, what was your biggest challenge when you first started doing competitive gaming as a hobby? Just finding the role that finding the role that you are, because you don't want to try to be someone you're not when it comes to especially in coming to competitive gaming. You don't want to try to play the role of a slayer when you just don't have the skill set to do that. And that's what I try to do because everybody wants to be the slayer. Everybody wants to get the most kills in the lobby. Everybody wants to, quote unquote, play the best out of all the players in the lobby. But when you are able to find your role and, and find your specific skill set, that's what's going to turn you from a okay player to a, a very, very good player. When you not only find it, but accept it. A lot of people like myself, it was hard for me to accept that I wasn't going to get the most kills in the lobby every single game. There there are, there there were, there will always be players that are better than me. I am, I will never call myself the best Call of Duty player in the world because it's just not true. So the biggest challenge to me was accepting that I'm not the best player and understanding that I can learn from better players and try to, you know, push my game to the next level. Because like I, like I said before, egos are a huge part of Call of Duty players. And I think people in general, I think everybody has an ego. Everybody, no one really likes to be told that they're wrong. No one likes to be told that you're not the best at something. But once you're able to accept that you're not, it gets so much easier to learn. And then you just, you, then you just strive to be a better player. And that's what will actually put you to the next level and push you over the hump. So it almost sounds like you don't have that challenge anymore. So what is your current challenge? Current challenge right now is to just accept losing. That's that's something that, you know, even though I've tried so long to accept it, losing to me, and ex- by accept it, I don't mean accept it as okay. Accept it as it's okay to lose as long as you can gain from it. I don't believe there's really anything in life that's like a lose-lose experience because losing in real life is not a real thing. You either win or you learn. There's no losing. You win and you win or you lose and you learn from no, from that loss. If I can learn something from a loss, I don't consider it a loss. I consider it a learning experience that I can put into a winning experience down the line. If I can instill something that I that I learned from a loss into my mind, I know it will benefit me later down the line. So that's something that is my current challenge, just understanding that a loss is not just a loss. It's something that I can learn from and it's something that I can take from. And that's something that's especially it's it's very hard for me in real in the real world and in competitive gaming. No, I completely understand. You know, for me, uh, I didn't lose my hair. I gained aerodynamic. Yes. <laughs> there you go. The optimistic point of view right there. I tend to talk about my bald head a lot, but you know what? I'm using it to my advantage. And now for probably the most intense question, but you know, it has to be asked. What are some misconceptions about people who are competitive gamers as a hobby? That we are athletes. We might not be physical athletes, but the way our mind has to work and run 24-7, we definitely put the time in that professional athletes do. You know, we play 25 plus hours a week. We watch at least 10 plus hours of film. We go over that film for another five, six hours. We definitely are professional athletes. And I think esports is a real sport. I truly believe that esports players are athletes and esports are a real sport. And another misconception about us is we're not nerds. You know, some of us might be, 
and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, I was a nerd. I still am a nerd when it comes to, I was a nerd in school. I was a nerd just in general, you know, when it came to book smarts and all that. Never thought for once in my life that being a nerd was a bad thing. So, but we're not all, you know, we don't sit here and just waste our lives. We don't do that. That's not what we do. We're trying to build something for ourselves. And for some of us, it works. For some of us, it doesn't. And then if for the people who doesn't, we move on to bigger and better things. And at the end of the day, you should do what you love doing, right? <laughs> and that's, that's the moral of the story. And uh, so I asked this question at the beginning of the episode, but I'll ask it again at the end. Do you have any social media links, websites, or projects that people can come check out to just show some love? Yes. Yeah, so once again, my Twitter is at always accepted underscore. If you have any questions about whatever I talked about in this podcast, if you want me to elaborate on anything I said, please just DM me on Twitter. I always check it. I'm pretty active on Twitter. And my YouTube channel is The Extra Innings Podcast. That is a podcast where I talk about baseball. You're going to get all my opinions. You're not going to like all of them, but you definitely will hear all of them. And I love to debate. Debating is one of my favorite things to do. I love to have a civil conversation between two people. And I like to talk to people who don't have the same views as me because I'm not trying to sway you to my side. I want to hear your side and I want you to hear my side. And if we come to an accord, that's great. And if we can't, we're going to move on, but we're going to have more knowledge on the other side of things. And that's something that, you know, knowledge is the key in, in life to really anything. The more you know, the better you will do, the more you will succeed. So please, if you ever want to talk, DM me. Just don't shout. <laughs> that's talking. Don't. don't write in cap rocks. <laughs> that's the only thing. <laughs> and now for the last question, do you have any questions for me? about competitive gaming as a hobby. You know, I wanted to know before I came on, what did you think of competitive gaming? Uh, well, as a whole, I'm like back, let's say 20 years ago, I didn't think it was a thing, but as I got older, I'm like, yeah, it's definitely a thing. And people do it and they enjoy it. I, that's the thing that I realized that anything can be competitive. At the end of the day, I can be a competitive brush thrower. I'm not comparing competitive <laughs> gaming to competitive brush throwing, but I'm saying anything that has a passion and has a lot of people who enjoy doing it can become competitive and it can be accepted within any community. So yeah, I honestly think competitive gaming as a hobby is something that is beautiful and is growing and it actually brings a lot of people together. And especially because back in the day, I grew up with couch gaming. So I would only play with my friends on the couch, which I loved. But nowadays you can play online with other people and you can just build that community aspect and you can even build a team with somebody who lives 2,000 or 3,000 or multiple thousands of kilometers or miles <laughs> away and you just create that friendship. So I love that energy because people from around the world might have the same view as you and you can just work together. So I'm all for it. But I totally agree with that. I mean, you know, you can connect with someone who's literally crossed the world, someone who you would have never, ever connected with in your life if it wasn't for video games, just that, that relationship, the, the relationships and friendships that you can build and the bonds you can build. That's something that will always bring me back to video games, no matter what. Thank you, video games for being there and, you know, entertaining us for all these years. <laughs> 100%. So uh, there you have it. Another body with a hobby. Thank you so much, Simon, for just coming on and, you know, just making me go into a nostalgic era. Just thinking about how I got into video games and how I was competitive with my friends. And, you know, we still are today. That's uh, the nature of gaming. Some games are more competitive than others. For me, it's Smash Bros. <laughs> Fun competitive game for me with my friends. But yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. It means, you know, it means a lot for you to just 
take your time out of your day to talk to me. So. so if you guys want to learn more about Simon, I'll put all the information below. And if you guys would like to be on my podcast or have any questions at all, you can send me an email at timeforyourhobby at gmail.com. And of course, if you like the podcast, you know, leave a review. I always accept reviews. And if you want to show some more support, it's always optional. I sell merchandise on Redbubble and I also have a Patreon. So all these are optional. You don't need to do it to enjoy the show. The show is still going to come out. So it's there if you want to. So once again, thank you so much, Simon. Thank you, man. It's been it's been a pleasure. So until the next episode, make some time for your hobby. Take care.